freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Everybody, welcome to episode number 307 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is Lifetime Order Protection, and our guest is Nikki Gozer. Nikki is a survivor of a deadly crime in a gun-free zone where she lost her husband in the hands of her stalker. Nikki is the author of Stalk and Defenseless, How Gun Control Helped My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me. Recently, Nikki offered a testimony in front of the Tennessee Legislature House Civil Justice Committee in support of a lifetime order of protection bill that has now been written into law, and that's awesome. Nikki, good to see you. Thank you, guys. Good to see you. Absolutely. And you didn't stop there. Right after that, that was in uh, March, in April, then you sat in front of the United States Senate Judiciary uh, Committee. And so I want to break all of that down. Um, But talk to us first about this new law. Why is it is needed? Did you get pushback? And if so, what were the hesitations of the people that gave you pushback? Um, I got zero, zero pushback on um, the lifetime order of protection bill. Yeah, it was actually, it turned out to be a unanimous uh, vote. Everyone supported it. Everyone, Democrats and Republicans. It was, it was really amazing. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll kind of explain why I felt like this legislation was needed. Um, so my stalker um, who murdered my husband, Ben, in front of me, he has been sending me twisted love letters from prison for years. This has been going on. And I don't know if I explained this before, but the first two letters came before the murder trial even took place. And as soon as I found out about them, I let the prosecutor know. I told the victim witness coordinator, the detective, I sent them copies of the letters and I said, this needs to stop. You know, apparently I need to get a uh, restraining order, order of protection. And there needs to be extra charges. Um, This is stalking and harassment and technically trying to tamper with a witness because it was before the trial and nothing happened, nothing. And I was ignored. I got no order of protection. And I finally just, I gave up and I told my attorney, look, I can't handle this. They're doing nothing. So just, just don't tell me, Mm -hmm. just, just don't tell me anymore. I I can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he did. 
he honored my request and he did not tell me for years until um, late 2019. I finally found out about all the other letters that had come after all those years. And um, I was then told that because of statute of limitations, I couldn't get an order of protection. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, this guy is, is getting out early. They've actually allowed him to get out early for good behavior. He's getting out in just seven more years. And that's terrifying for me. I have very real fears about him. So I was like, you know what? There needs to be a law to fix this. Yes. You know, victims should be able to get an order of protection. And there are some circumstances that are so horrific, so violent, so life altering that a lifetime order of protection is needed. And so I started talking with legislators and um, one in particular, uh, Representative William Lamberth took it up and he decided to sponsor the bill um, in the house. And then Senator Mike Bell uh, sponsored it in the Senate and everyone supported it. Basically the law says <clears throat> that, and I just wanna say this is for the most severe cases of violent crime and the offender must be convicted. Okay, it's, it has to be a violent felony where you are the victim as the victim of that crime, you know, it's, we're talking murder, rape, the really bad, bad, violent crimes. Mm -hmm. That victim can go and petition to get a lifetime order of protection against mm -hmm. that offender that was convicted of that crime. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not foolproof. I mean, of course we all know it's just a piece of paper, right. um, but if they violate it, that's an additional year in prison each violation mm -hmm. and then if god forbid a victim has to defend themselves mm -hmm. from the offender mm -hmm. then i would think a lifetime order of protection would be a pretty solid defense yeah. yes absolutely and i like that you um the the people that were involved in putting this together were careful that it couldn't be used in any frivolous way you know you're specific that it has to be uh, a violent crime that the person committed or crimes and that uh the the offender was fully convicted not just accused not just you know and so i i have a, a huge appreciation for that piece of it because i thought if you did get pushback it might be those kinds of things but uh it's incredible that you said that democrats and republicans alike shouldered up stood shoulder to shoulder and said this is something that we see um a a, a need for and um so i that's incredible really congratulations so, so is the law in effect now nikki um the the governor has just signed it and it goes into effect on july 1st of this year mm -hmm. is your is the guy still sending you letters not right now he has been um charged at the federal level and it looks like this is probably going to go to trial um it'll go before a federal court and he is now facing an additional five years in prison um that would be hopefully on top of his state prison time so he would finish out his state prison time 
And then they would tack on the five years to be served at a federal prison after that. Yeah. So this man went into a, a place that you were uh, with your with your husband at the time and uh, and shot him cold blood. And he is going to be able to get out of prison. That right there is a mess up in the law. It's mind boggling. It's not me. like it was an accident. It wasn't like, you know, he started a fight and then something happened. He went in there to cold blood kill him. And for him to be any time out of prison, well, if it was up to me, he wouldn't be in prison at all. He wouldn't be here. <laughs> wouldn't be on the earth. But that's another story. But it's just amazing to me that we have gone this far. You know, and that that you had to fight for your rights for uh, order of protection, lifetime order of protection. You shouldn't have had to do that. You know, so. Yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of people in this country that have to go through a lot um, in order to get things changed. You know, a lot of legislation out there. I would I would I would venture to say that most legislation out there was spurred on by someone going through something challenging, difficult, horrific. Yeah. You know, that's how laws come about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, and of course, you know, as you said, any kind of a order of protection is basically, you know, a piece of paper, but you also train, you're, you're a firearms owner um, and you have, a, the tools that give you a different kind of lifetime order of protection, right? Yes, I carry every day and I encourage others to carry. I've tried to educate people, especially women, about the basic human right of self-defense and why it's so important to be prepared. I tell people, I don't, I don't want you to be paranoid mm -hmm. um, because I do believe that most people, you know, are, are good. I still believe that. Um, but there are unfortunately some evil people out there who don't respect people and don't respect their lives or their families. And um, you need to be able to protect yourself. I, I tell people, please go get training. Don't just go get the basic handgun carry permit training. That's great, but keep doing training. Take intermediate pistol, advanced pistol go take a tactical class, take advanced pistol again, you know, uh, get as much training as you can because you can get rusty, you know, you need to keep up with it and have good situational awareness and keep up that training. For sure, for sure. And then uh, you also are, uh, as am I, part of a group called the DC Project. It's Women for Gun Rights. We're trying to be that counter voice and that counter visual to the uh, Bloomberg funded Moms Demand Action group who wants to say that, you know, if you're, if you're a female or you're a mom of any sort, then you don't have anything to do with these, you know, ugly tools and you should try to, you know, make sure nobody else can either. Um, and so through the DC project, uh, we do meet with our legislators and have conversations and help them understand our message of education, not legislation, um, when it comes to the tools themselves and our rights and our abilities to, to carry them and own them. Um, so you, with a small group of our fellow DC project uh, delegates and state directors met in DC 
recently right in between your Tennessee uh, testimony and then the one that I mentioned earlier, the Senate uh, Judiciary testimony. Talk to us about what that meeting was and and how significant it was that uh, you were able to bring together the people that, that came to that meeting. Sure, that meeting was um, with the Congressional Second Amendment Caucus, um, of which I used to be the executive director of. And um, I, I used to work for Congressman Thomas Massey, Republican of Kentucky. And uh, I was his director for that. And then I also served as his um, press secretary for a while. And um, it, was, it was a great meeting where the DC project uh, met up with members of Congress that support the second amendment and spoke about, look, you know, there's moms demand action out there and all of these gun control groups that come and testify. They show up at committees in their red shirts and they're very um, persistent. They're very vocal. They're very loud. They make their presence known. And we wanted these members of Congress to know that uh, we are a group of, of pro-gun women. We support the second amendment. Uh, there are many of us that are victims of violent crime that respect the second amendment. We, we don't blame the gun. Uh, we understand that a gun is not evil. It's the person behind the gun uh, that can be evil. A good person behind a gun can save innocent lives. And we just try to educate people that we're out here. You can use our testimony. You can call us to come and sit in committees. You know, there are women out there that can offer another opinion other than your typical moms demand action mm -hmm. out there. We can counter what they're saying. Absolutely. With just your own personal testimony, your own personal experience, uh, you know, they're always, you know, hitting the talking points and the things that they've heard on the national news <clears throat> or you know, something like that. And, and the people, the women in the DC project are speaking, you know, this is what happened in my life, just like you shared. And so were you already scheduled to speak in front of the Senate Judiciary before this meeting? Or did that develop because of uh, you sharing with these legislators at this, this meeting? I'm really not sure how that developed. <laughs> but um, it probably had something to do with that meeting. Um, we spoke to Senate staff as well. So um, somewhere along the line, someone heard of what I said and word must have gotten back um, to some key staffers who recommended that I testify. But um, it, it was a little intimidating going in that committee room knowing that I was gonna be the only person um, testifying you know, I wouldn't say that, um, I don't know, I wasn't intimidated. I, I didn't think anyone would really be mean to me or, or um, I guess I was a little concerned I might get bullied. I don't, you never know what you're stepping into. Sure. You know, you feel like you might be stepping into the lion's den, but my stance was, look, these gun control laws have unintended consequences. 
Red flag laws also have unintended consequences. And these are things that you need to think about. And I don't understand why you want to expand red flag laws all across the nation when we have existing laws right now on the books all across the nation. Every state has some sort of involuntary commitment type law. I know Florida calls it the Baker Act. Different states call it different things, but they all have it. And if you're really truly concerned that someone is dangerous, um, you can use the Baker Act and all of these similar laws across the nation. And what happens is the person makes the complaint and you need to have evidence, but the person that you are afraid is a danger would be put on a basically a 72 hour hold. Different states have different time frames, but for purposes of explaining how this works, the person is put on a 72 hour hold. During that time, a mental health expert evaluates the person and it's determined, you know, is this person truly a danger? You know, if they're not and the evidence is lacking and the mental health expert and law enforcement is like, look, we're not seeing that this person is dangerous. Apparently, whoever made this complaint is wrong. Then nothing's going to happen to that person. You know, they're sent back home. But if that person is found to be a danger of a real concern, that person goes before a judge. The judge looks at all of the evidence, including what the mental health expert said. And then that judge has a whole range of options. You know, the judge can say, okay, look, we're going to let you do outpatient treatment, or this is severe. We're going to have your guns confiscated. You are going to be involuntarily committed. Um, it's due process before guns are taken. I believe that due process needs to happen. And the one thing about the Baker Act and all of these similar laws, if you cannot afford an attorney, one is provided for you. Mm -hmm. That's not the case with red flag laws. Red flag laws, there is no due process up front. What they do is they have a complaint before a judge, a piece of paper, the judge sees a piece of paper and then they make a decision, okay, go confiscate this person's guns. Law enforcement knocks on your door. We're here to take your guns. You don't know why. You don't know why your guns are being taken. You know, I need to be able to protect myself. And um, there's no mental health experts involved. That's not mandated. Mm -hmm. And you, the person flagged, whoever is flagged is responsible for hiring an attorney mm -hmm. to defend you so that you can try to get your guns back. And who knows how long that will take. It's, it's very unfair and it's burdensome. And I don't understand why they are pushing this, why they are wanting to provide funding and encourage other states to take on red flag laws when we already have existing laws in place that protect people's constitutional rights. It's just another control issue, Nikki. And the thing is, this whole thing is crazy anyway, because first of all, it's if any person can say another person's bad and that law goes into effect. Another thing is, if they come and take my guns, I don't know that they'd get them all. Mm -hmm. And I, that what I don't have the ability to go get a gun somewhere else. Mm 
-hmm. and I don't have the ability to make a tool that would be deadly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm if 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 I'm the bad guy, then the guy itself needs to be the one that's handled, not the tools around the house. Right. And I explained that in my testimony. I told them, I said, look, okay, so you truly believe someone is dangerous. Okay, so so you take away their guns. Let's say you're successful in doing that. You've taken away their guns. Guess what? They're still dangerous. Right. Exactly. You know, if someone is truly dangerous, quite frankly, I don't want them to have access to a vehicle. Yes. Or knives or a baseball bat or matches, gasoline, a pressure cooker. I mean, it's never ending. If someone is dangerous, they will find a way to harm people. And they can also find a way to harm a lot of people. Or kids um, or anything else. Yeah. Sure. If somebody's very dangerous, if you truly believe they're dangerous and they've had due process, they should be confined to a mental health facility. Yeah, right. absolutely. And you made such a, an important point um, in your testimony to the Judiciary Committee uh, subcommittee about the fact that when you have been a victim of trauma, that you might be red flagged, which is actually re-victimizing you because you are now being made even more vulnerable because somebody might say, well, and, and I'll let you use your words, but basically, well, Nikki, Nikki's not herself, right? Well, she just witnessed her husband being murdered in front of her. She is not going to be herself. That doesn't mean that she is a danger to self or others, um, but other people might, even in the best of intentions, um, do the wrong thing and use these red flag gun laws. But can you expound on that a little bit, the, the way that you did in front of the committee? Sure. You know, I just, I told them, I said, look, I'm a victim of a violent crime. Uh, what I witnessed was absolutely terrifying. It was horrific. Um, yeah, I was depressed. Who wouldn't be? Yes, I had nightmares. Who wouldn't? These are all normal human reactions to something this horrific. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, if I just happened to pass away in my sleep in the middle of the night, I would be okay with that. Mm -hmm. At the time, I felt like, look, I don't know how I can face another day. Mm -hmm. I was never suicidal, but you can understand how someone may misinterpret that. Yeah. And even those with the best of intentions could be concerned and had red flag laws existed in my state of Tennessee, someone could go and say, hey, we're really concerned about her and we're afraid that she could be suicidal and my guns would be taken mm -hmm. with no due process, no opportunity to explain to a judge myself what I'm dealing with and how I really feel. Mm -hmm. um, the guns would be taken. Now, that would be trauma on top of trauma for me as a victim of stalking where the stalker murdered my husband in front of me to take away my basic human right of self-defense after going through that, after this stalker completely violated me and, and did this horrible act, um, that would make it worse for me 
to not be able to protect myself. It would compound the problem. Oh, absolutely. I just got a chill in my back. A stalker could say that a person is dangerous. Yes. And then all the tools to protect yourself are gone. Well, you would hope that law enforcement and the courts are smart enough to really research these people making these complaints um, to make sure that they're not a perpetrator of a violent crime against the person that they're seeking the red flag on. You would hope that these authorities do their jobs and follow through, but that's not always the case. No. There, there have been examples. I think it was in Colorado or where was uh, Colorado? I think where a woman claimed that she had dated a, a police officer, officer. Mm -hmm. and she said, um, you know, that she was scared of him. And I can't remember what all she said in the complaint, but she basically used the red flag law mm -hmm. against him. She never dated him. No. You know how she knew him? He was the, a police officer that justifiably mm -hmm. had to unfortunately kill her son yes. because he was engaged in a crime yes. and she was being vindictive yes. and trying to get this officer disarmed. You know, that. stalkers, violent criminals can be very mani manipulative, oh, deceptive, sure. very um, cunning, and sly. Um, I mean, this is just a thought. I mean, he's a sicko, so why not? What What would prevent my stalker as soon as he's released from changing his name legally, mm -hmm. and then going and saying something like, "Oh, you know, I was dating this woman, and uh, I, I fear for my life. I, I fear she's dangerous." And then if if authorities don't do their due diligence mm -hmm. and really research him. He could be successful in having me disarmed. And even if it's for a day or two, that could be deadly for me Absolutely. because he'd be able to harm me and me not be able to have a way to protect myself. Yeah, this is something we cannot outsource. You know, uh, our own protection. Uh, it, I think it goes to the core of why our founding father said shall not be infringed because there's so many ways that people that want to victimize others can use well-meaning well-intentioned laws and uh, regulations and on and on and all it takes is uh i mean there's even one of these people that uh was a a, a mass murderer in one of these mass uh killing sprees with a firearm that he was able to get a gun because there was a paperwork glitch somewhere in the military uh, somebody should have been able, I, I forget which one it was. I don't know if you remember Nikki or Dan, but um, he, there should have been paperwork that, that was passed on and would have prevented him from, you know, passing a background check. And it just didn't happen. It was a paperwork glitch. Do you want that to be the thing that happens when, uh, you know, one of these manipulative people tries to use something like a red flag law against the person they are intentionally trying to victimize no thank you i don't want that yeah me either at least you know with the existing laws mm -hmm. um I, it, it would not be pleasant to be taken in for a 72 hour hold but hey i'll go you know <laughs> i'll go 
I would rather do that and be under the care of law enforcement um, while they're figuring out that, hey, you know what? She's perfectly sane. There's nothing wrong with her. Actually, we just found out that this person that did this was stalking her. Oh, look, he murdered her husband. Okay, we get this now. You are totally innocent. You've not done anything wrong. You're not a danger to yourself or others. You know, we're not gonna take your guns. They'd be able to figure that out. I'd have an opportunity to speak for myself, right. you know, right. before that happened, before guns are taken. Red flag laws are quite the opposite. You, you are guilty until you prove yourself innocent. And that's not the way it's supposed to work in this country. Absolutely. Right. And, I, and I, I get afraid of laws like that, too, because it's how it's enforced. It depends on who's the chief law enforcement officer in your neighborhood and how he for, perceives that bill. He or she. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of relations with law enforcement friends that I've had that, you know, that they may have had an affair with somebody or something or not just law enforcement, but people. Mm -hmm. And they, they get mad at them, so they try to do things to them. They, they so they could lie and say you know he's a danger right. or you know so there's all kinds of tricks to be played out there and we live in the united states you're supposed to be able to fit you know prove yourself i mean you, they got to prove you're bad right. you're innocent until innocent proven guilty. guilty and it's upside down right now yeah, even the 72 ways. hour thing isn't doing that i mean they got to have hard evidence and then they got to interview you and then decide whether to take you in for 72 hours if right. it was on my books right they're just not just say hey she's crazy yeah. no so right. exactly well i think under the baker act and these other similar laws the evidence has to be more than just a simple complaint right it has right. to there has to be some real uh, evidence in that case red flag laws now it's totally different it can be just a complaint right yeah there's just way too uh, it's too ripe for misuse and uh, we really have to keep our heads on straight about this because it's one of those things that it is too easy uh, to just start doing the the head bob. Oh yeah, let, that mm -hmm. sounds perfectly reasonable. Keep guns out of the hands of crazy people. We have to understand the nuances. We have to understand that there are already laws in place and we have to understand how important and impactful due process is and and sure. just say no to these these red flag gun laws whatever they're called some are called erpos uh, emergency restraining order protection order something like restraining protection order emergency and, risk protection order yeah thank you thank you and then there's a stop law our governor here in arizona was fond of of something called a stop law severe threat order protection i think and wanted it wouldn't stand on its own, thankfully. So what he wanted to do is wrap it up in some kind of a school bill, right? And so then people would be like, oh, well, anything for the children, right? Anything for the teachers. And then here's this poison pill in there uh, that's infringing on our Second Amendment rights. And um, I mean, that tells you something right there. If it won't stand on its own merit, there's a reason. Yeah. So, um, right. you know, we and I know that there are probably some people that would say, oh, well, you know, maybe a red flag law could have helped in this situation with your stalker. Mm -hmm. And my reply to that is, you know what, there are existing laws mm -hmm. that could have been used mm -hmm. that were not used. They were not enforced. 
and he slipped through the cracks. I'll give you an example. He, he was a resident of Florida and he had come to Tennessee to visit from what I understand. I think he had been in Tennessee, like maybe six months, something like that, but he wasn't a Tennessee resident. And, um, I learned during the murder trial that my stalker years before he ever crossed our path, he had threatened to kill his own secretary at his job in Florida. And there was another example where his family took the stand. Of course, they were trying to get him off on a not guilty by reason of insanity. So that was the whole purpose of his family testifying. But during their their testimony, they're telling all of these stories of these things that he did in the past. And another one was, um, there were some hunters that I guess wanted to hunt on his property and they asked him if they could. And he said, no, no, I don't want you hunting on my property. And they said, well, okay. And they went hunting on the property next door. Well, apparently that made him upset. And he came out with a shotgun and started firing at these hunters you can't do that that's not legal so at that point he should have been arrested charged and convicted and that alone would have made him a prohibited person he wouldn't have been allowed to possess or purchase guns after that but the very system that failed and failed and failed you is asking for us to trust that everything will just be fine if we have one more law right this one more gun red flag gun law and then it's the again the exact same system that says you know he sentenced your husband to death sentenced your husband to and you to a life sentence with what happened and then he's getting out early for something called good behavior while he's still stalking you through the mail system like, no, we do not trust this system. We do not want to give any more power or weight to this system, period. End of story. Right. His, his family could have Baker acted him. Yes. You know, they knew of these behaviors. They knew that he was showing signs of danger oh. and, and they, they didn't do it. They didn't. Well, either they did not contact authorities and warn them or who knows, maybe they did. And just like with Nicholas Cruz, uh, authorities did not act, you know, uh, Nicholas Cruz did the Parkland attack. And there were a lot of failures there. Somehow this man fell through the cracks. And I, I wanted to tell people, look, there are existing laws that could have been used. And I don't believe red flag laws are constitutional. I don't think we should be expanding them. Quite frankly, I think we should be getting rid of them and just use the existing laws we have. Yes. So Nikki, when are you going to run for office? (laughs) Sure, that's not the first time you've heard that. No. I mean, they've got a a seat with your name on it already over there. So come on. No, I'm not that crazy. (laughs) (laughs) No. That's a... That's a smooth pit to fall into right there. There's way too much bullying and threats that go on in that atmosphere. I I would not want to be in that position. Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, you're doing a great job with what you're doing, so keep that up. Thank you. 
For sure. Well, tell folks um, how they can follow the work that you're doing because you also work uh, with Dr. John R. Lott and you also have written a book about your life experiences. Um, so tell folks how they can uh, follow all of that and get a copy of your book. Sure. My book is um, titled Stalked and Defenseless, and uh, you can purchase that on Amazon. And I, uh, I do have social media, but I keep it on lockdown just because I've dealt with a stalker and I'm kind of sensitive to that. So sure. um, I'm friends with you guys, <laughs> but I know you guys. Um, so if you want to follow me, probably the best place would be at um, crimeresearch.org, which is the organization I, I work for. And, um, you know, we put up regular posts there. Um, about statistics on, on gun control laws and, and how they impact crime. And my testimony is there and, and various other things and interviews that I do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for continually going back to the worst moments of your life to help the rest of us understand the importance of, of why the or the lifetime order of protection is good legislation and something like red flag law is such dangerous legislation. I, I hate it that we have to constantly pick at that, uh, that wound, but uh, I, I can't tell you how appreciative we are that you will continue to, to keep speaking up about that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I do what I can. <laughs> thank you, Nikki. You thank sure you very much. Do. All right, lady. Well, we will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye guys. Bye. God bless. Thank you. Good to see ya. you. Too. So I'm a politician. Okay. Okay. And I might be I mean, several. Thankfully you're not a politician. Maybe I'm but... several politicians okay. in a room mm -hmm. and mothers who de demand action mm -hmm. walk in the door and they say, we need to keep guns off the street. We need to do this. We need the red flag laws because this could happen. This may happen or this could happen. Mm -hmm. And I listen to that and I go, there's some truth in this maybe, mm -hmm. right? But it hasn't happened, could happen. Mm -hmm. Then I get, uh, get to listen to people like Nikki who have been victims. Yeah. Now these are people that are, this is certified had a problem. Yeah. And I look at that and I go, okay, do I wanna help something that could happen? Or do I wanna do something to impact something that has happened that we can stop from happening again? Yeah. Do I want to take away the right of a woman or man to protect themselves under any circumstances? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Do I want to do that? No. <laughs> Please, no. Just... I, I don't want to take away their rights, but I, and and so I want to go to the people, the mothers who demand action, and say, you know, these people have a right to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And and I'm I'm sorry. I think that. Nikki doing this and getting more people involved in doing this is going to be the answer to the problem because what person would say no to that? Yeah. I mean, if I'm speaking theoretically or if I'm even sharing, you know, secondhand Nikki's story, um, that, that might reach some people. Right. But when Nikki herself is saying, listen, this happened to me, this happened to me. Right. And then, you know, even if people are like, yeah, but what if the red flag law would have helped, you know, stop your guy? And then she can say, here's why I don't believe that because of what happened, happened to, to me. me. 
And that is so important. And I, I have to believe there are so many people out there like Nikki. Oh, there that, is. Uh, if, if given an opportunity to be heard and speak up, would have such impactful right. um, information and testimony for the rest of us. And um, well, so how that's many one of the things that's really exciting about the DC project, right. dcproject.info. Uh, uh, if, if you do have a story like that, if you do want to become involved and offer testimony or speak to your legislatures or just have a community of like-minded people who want our, our rights preserved, uh, that's a great place to go. Um, but Diana Muller, our founder, has, has been brilliant about being able to uh, give people that opportunity through DC Project. Right. Now, now let's talk about Diana Muller. Mm -hmm. She started the DC Project. Mm -hmm. And she was a police officer. Yes. And she feels, as a police officer, mm -hmm. that people need to be able to defend themselves because the police can't be there all the time. Indeed. There's another example. And how about all the examples of people that we've interviewed? I can't tell you how many there are that have didn't like guns, didn't want to be around guns, had a problem, decided they they wanted to have a firearm, and were responsible enough to get the training and yeah. the other things. There are eight to ten million people just like that that have that have come to that realization in the past right. twelve months through through. Yeah, they uh, didn't buy a gun just because of guns. No. They felt that they needed to protect themselves. Absolutely. Uh, all the craziness of COVID, all of the, the craziness of the um, Defund of, police officers. The rioting going on, yeah. cities on fire, people wanting to defund the police. People were realizing, well, wait a minute, uh, in an emergency, that emergency is happening to me, and right. I need to be prepared for that. Um, so there are many, many, many more people out there right now than there were even a year ago that are much more involved mentally, you know, with, well, wait a minute. So then what does that mean? This new legislation that they right. want to do, or what does that mean when, uh, the Biden Harris administration is making these executive orders and, uh, initial actions, which means there's more coming that are going to infringe on my rights. So so yeah, what what you're saying is 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 really true that uh, it really sometimes takes us being personally invested and involved to to make things happen. But you know what time it is? It's time to say goodbye. It is. It is. What an amazing conversation! Thank you again to our awesome guest, Miss Nikki Gozer, and to our amazing listeners. They are amazing. All over. Except that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, everybody's amazing. Thank you very <laughs> oh. much for uh, for uh, hanging in with us. Absolutely. Uh, we value you so much because you could be doing anything with your time and be anywhere. And the fact that you spend it with us is everything. So thank you for that. And you can always go to, uh, you can watch our video versions of these on the uh, Ops Lens smartphone app, on YouTube, and on gunstreamer.com. Or you can go to uh, listen to the audio-only version on gunfreedomradio.com. Click the On Demand tab and... You can binge listen, listen to your heart's content, content, darling. Uh, and click the Guest tab to see photos and bios and, and links to all of the work that all of our subject matter expert guests... And, you know, uh, you need to share your thoughts. Because if you don't share your thoughts, they, they don't grow. Yeah. 
and we need to grow. We need to let the community, especially the new eight million listeners, I mean, eight million view, uh, new gun owners. Yes, we need them to know that their voice counts and that they need to uh, help with this movement. For sure. So you could reach out to us on talk at gunfreedomradio.com or uh, private messages on any of the um, social media outlets yep. that we are on. And uh, with that, we're going to pray for our nation. We will. I hope. I hope you will. I know Danny and I are. We hope yeah. you'll join us in praying for our nation, praying for our leaders and representatives. All of them, every single one of them. Even every single one of them, even you. <laughs> even me? No, you, Nancy. We're oh. praying for you. <laughs> He's talking to the ones, She's the ones today. Nancy's he doesn't like. Today. She's got an ice cream bar. She's sitting on her front yard, and she's listening to us right now. Mm -hmm. Hi, Nancy. Mm -hmm. We're praying for you. Nancy Pelosi. Is that who you mean? Um, and uh, maybe especially the ones that we're not particularly fond of, right? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, until next week, be good to each other. Great. See you real soon.